Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? I'm brilliant. Yes, why? Why are you brilliant today? Because today yeah. we have a guest that I care a lot about. Oh, yeah. I love his art. Oh, yes. And I've also had the great privilege of working with him a number of times for counter editions. Okay. And this incredible artist began work in the 1970s and is best known for collages and um, photographic kind of a Can we call him the king of collage? Well, I think you can actually. Great. Because he's literally been making collages since he was probably in his late teens or something, which we will discover. And now at the age of, I think, 70 maybe, is literally changing the world with his collages. And people are super excited to be showing him in Biennales. Mm-hmm. Uh, he even won the Deutsche Borsa Prize, the mm-hmm. photography prize in 2015, yes. which is a big accolade. I'm basically a huge fan. So Me too. We would like to, to welcome, welcome John Stesica. <laughs> Hi, John. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. After that, I feel absolutely wonderful, of course. <laughs> what an introduction. I wouldn't, didn't expect that at all. Well, you that seems be to be a, a running theme on this podcast. People are like crying like, <laughs> by the time they <laughs> the start intros. talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think this I, is your life. <laughs> I've also realised I'm a bit way too over-enthusiastic. No, and, um, never. I, know, I don't know if you can. Never but... apologise for enthusiasm. Okay, good. Absolutely, I agree with that. Yes. You can't, you can't actually. The hyperbole is, is never too excessive. Well, the thing is, I actually mean it. Hyperbole, <laughs> like, it. not hyperbole. How do you say it? Hyper- hyperbole. I'm afraid it is called hy- yeah, I, I believe you. Yeah. Oh, I've always read it as hyperbole. Yeah. Hyperbole. Hyperbole, yeah. Well, it's changed my life already. Yeah, absolutely. There we go. So just before this interview, John said to me that um, he might not be doing that many public appearances in the future. So I'm really happy that we're getting this exclusive, incredible interview with yes. John. Yes, thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, it was just a decision I made recently. I just thought... I keep giving lectures wherever I do, you know, shows. And yeah. essentially I say much the same thing, sometimes with a different kind of work, but, you know, much the same thing. I thought, why am I wasting my time? Yeah. Because it's out there. I, I mean, I know people see it on the computer and things. Mm. So I know it's around. You don't really need me to reiterate this It's like you have, you have your sound bites and your gobbits down and right. then you've got your yeah. regurgitating yeah. Yeah. them. So 
I thought I might dedicate myself a bit more to doing some writing and thinking about what I'm doing. Oh, nice. that's great. Um, instead of all these public appearances. Well, we're trying to ask you some off-centre questions today then, okay. so there's going to be new information out there right. in the world. Um, well, first of all, you, you get most of your art from found images. You find a lot of images in junk shops and bookstores and you know, thrift, thrift markets and everything. But even like film memorabilia affairs, no? Yes, I get all those things. I mean, I'd, junk shops and, and ordinary shops, I'm finding more and more difficult to mm. source material these days. And so, like everyone, I'm buying stuff online. which means eBay? Like, yeah. Mm. Yes, eBay's a life changer. Absolutely. What uh, do you search for? Well, it depends. Um, I mean, actually, what I tend to do is I look for commercial, I mean, the biggest collection of images I have are film stills, as you probably know, mm -hmm. and film, you know, portraits of film stars. And I have a number of people around the world who kind of source these from um, various collections. But the first thing I do when I hear, hear about it, a commercial collection is I ask them if they have any unwanted material. And that means usually images of, of um, actors and actresses that are either unknown or forgotten or whatever, or sometimes never even made a film. And the other category of unwanted material tends to be damaged stuff. Mm. And both of these are extremely valuable to me. I love damage to begin with because it's all really kind of slightly cut up. It kind of gives me the excuse for cutting. And uh, anonymous actors are more useful than well-known ones because I have to do less to disguise who they are because my work's all about seeing the image outside a kind of sense of its legibility or ordinary meaning. So I have to disassociate it from a persona or actor or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It needs to be rendered unrecognisable. So I tend to get these cardboard boxes arriving through the post just full of stuff. That you, you know, collectors can't wait to get rid of material <laughs> they don't so want. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because you know. they, they all want the Marilyn Monroe or the, or the superstar. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, or something. Yeah, with, with the shortage of material, the film still material, I've now <clears throat> bought the stock from... Two entire shops. Well, one shop wow. and one huge film collection. Do you, do you feel guilty when you... I mean, you said the damaged ones mm. makes it easier to kind of cut up. But yeah. Do you feel guilty about these kind of pieces of history, historical documents that you're splicing? Absolutely. You yes. do? I do feel terrible sometimes, yes. <laughs> um, and that's why the last big collection of film stills... Really, when I bought a shop... I'll tell you the story, actually. It's quite funny. Yeah, go story. For year, years and years, I went around various shops collecting film stills, and I'd be a classic time waster in these shops. You know, I'd go in and come out with two 10 by 8s mm -hmm. and leave. <laughs> and you've been in there about three or four hours. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, uh, and then gradually, as the, the various shops that I used to go to closed down, you'd find the stock from one in the other until there was just one. Mm -hmm. And it was called Flashbacks in, in Soho. And I, I thought it would be there forever somehow. I kept going. I, whenever I had a day off from teaching or whatever, I'd pop in. They'd know you, obviously. They'd be like, oh, hi, yeah, John. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Here he is. <laughs> yes. He's back. <laughs> yes. The tinkle of the bell <laughs> as I go in, all that sort of thing. Anyway, one day I went there. The shop was empty. There was just some bits of paper on the floor. No. Oh. I nearly had a heart attack. I thought, oh, oh no. my God, career over. End of, you know. <laughs> I went home. I composed myself sufficiently to phone the old number. And to my surprise, I got through to them, a familiar voice. And they knew who I was. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, we've had to, we've had to move to an industrial unit. 
Oh, wow. Um, out in the East End, but you're welcome. We're now only do it working, selling online, but as a, you know, a, a time-honoured loyal waster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you can go and waste our time out there if you like. So I went out there, and the, for the first time I could actually see what used to be tucked away in these kind of dark basements. And oh, wow. Things. And it was all out in cardboard boxes, and there was one box marked damaged and Mm. That ding, was ding, it. Ding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All the lights <laughs> so lit up in said, your brain. <laughs> I looked. At the, I looked through the material. And I thought, oh wow. I tried not to look too excited. And I said, how much do you want for that box? And they gave me the most ridiculous price. And I, I, before they changed their mind, I just took it. And how much? Well, how much? Did... I can't actually remember, <laughs> but it must have been probably a box of say four hundred maybe images, probably for about. Thirty or forty pounds. Really? Wow. Yeah, nothing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. And they and were some of them so damaged you couldn't use them, or can you always find a oh, way? I can always find a way. Do you? <laughs> well, wow. no, no. I mean, there's nothing that's too damaged. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Anyway, so I got it home and actually made a lot of. I felt with this abundance of material, it, it freed me up, and I actually uh, did the main body of what I call the marriage series as from, yeah, yeah, from yeah, that yeah. one really? box. Wow. Um, and so, anyway, I decided to go back and have a look some more. And they said, really, we're not doing much with all this, this film, these film stills. The only thing we're selling, really, are the big film posters. Mm-hmm. These are, in, you know, that's the lot. And they were clearly kind of running the whole business down the man and wanted to retire, you could tell. Um, and so I made, I just made some money out of some of my collages. And actually, some of the ones that... That I'd sourced there, and uh, so I bought the entire shop's worth of. No, that's so cool. <laughs> and I thought, brilliant! I, I never. I even said to my assistant that we'd have a little bell on the door so that I can just pretend I'm going into the shop. Oh. we kept it exactly as it was. The same no. filing system, everything on the wall of my st- studio down uh, in the I basement. I was going to say because I've been to your studio cool. a few times. We live very close to each other, yeah. actually. And um, that's your, one your of the studio's things... in your house, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things that I love so much about it is that you get this real sense of you kind of making these collages on a table or or in the house almost. There's something so directly, you know, with your hand mm. and it's so personal. But I love the the way that you've got so many like files and drawers and, mm. and it's like, you know where everything is as well. It's like, I you, don't. No, oh, no, no, oh, no, really? that, you don't have an inside. <laughs> well, anyway, when no, I've no. been there, you've always found things that we're trying to yeah, Oh, yeah, yeah. But maybe you've already got that's them pieces, ready. That's pieces. Pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Although I can find pieces. No, but anyway, we installed them exactly as they were in the shop. In the, with the same filing system, in alphabetical order according to, to actor and film. And so you can find anything in there. Anyway, when I started to think about what I had there, I thought, I can't use this material. It's just too perfect. It's, I, you know, this is a thing in its own right. It needs to be preserved. Right. So I decided not to use anything. So I've just not even looked at it. I've just kept it there. Wow. Which is really strange. As a kind of historical... Occasionally, document. somebody, people come in and they're curious and they look up a particular actor or do exactly what I used to do, you know, look through through films. And, yeah. Would you ever use it as an installation then, like a... I have, multi- I have kind of used it, but I've used it to make my films. Got oh. it, yes, yes, yes. Which yes. We, And your films just flicker, 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 right. flicker through yeah, images. Yeah, and you, it. One's called Blind, isn't it? That's where it's, you can't really... Yeah. You don't have enough time to... Absolutely. Unless you pause it to know what yeah. it is. It's like, like images rushing across yeah. your eyes. Well, that was the first. I bought, that was, I can't remember how many thousand, but 
then I later when I won the Deutsche Börse Prize, I used the prize money to buy something that was ten times that size. It's now in my studio down in St. Leonard's. Wow. And I have been going through the boxes there for well, I can't remember how many years it is since I won the prize, but for, for that many, I'm still only halfway through wow. looking through the material that wow, I bought. Wow, that's exciting. But the beauty of this one is that everything in it is in triplicate at least, sometimes five copies of each, wow. which means I can use it and preserve it simultaneously. Oh, that's great. Oh, nice. So that's how I get around it. That, sorry, it was a very long answer to it was your fantastic. question. Well, I just want to clear up. So the, the marriage series, which we were talking about yeah. earlier, that exactly, for people that don't know, that is when you take these uh, Hollywood um, headshots of men and women, isn't it? It's normally men and women, yeah. and then you splice them and then you put them together, mm-hmm. and so you're playing with gender... Uh, what you perceive as gender and you don't know who is more dominant, the woman or the man, but yet it creates this otherworldly human, basically, uh, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you've got it right. Okay. Uh, for me, it's it's the creation of persona, really. I mean, persona means mask, I know, but of people. Um, and my, well, my feeling is that you, 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 the, 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 the criteria that seems to make them work for me, is when I feel a sense of love or tenderness towards them, an empathy with them. Um, and you don't feel that with the originals, these screen shots. You must have them of yourself, presumably. I don't keep them around, no. but yeah, my agent has. <laughs> <laughs> and I think my mum's got lots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever. Um, yeah, but it's probably kind of, they're probably quite bland images. Um, but somehow, when you splice them together, like Frankenstein, Yes. The dead, you know, the... The, the monster. Dead, the dead body parts brought together to create this monster. Yeah. But somehow the monster's got some... Commands empathy, doesn't mm. it? I mean, in a way, because it's a mutant. It's, it's been pulled together. It's been constructed. And yet, strangely, in that kind of tension between the two sides of the face, yeah. there's an aperture, a way in which we as subjects can kind of enter and identify. We want to heal that division. Right, somehow. and we in and our scar. own minds, yeah, and create that persona, and we don't get that from the originals at all. But, we but you always feel empathy for them, and do, is it because these guys never really quite made it? So there's quite a tragic sadness about these wannabe performers. I read that yeah. they're called virgins. So, yeah, that, like, that, yeah, that's a term I got from one of the shops where they collect things. If if you've got an actor who's not made a film, um, and uh, sorry. A, a, a portrait of an actor who has not made a film. Yeah. Then they, they refer to them as virgins. They're oh. valueless as images, right. as oh. far as collecting it goes. So if you've got at one end of the scale in terms of value, Greta Garbo or yeah. m- mm. Marilyn Monroe, the mm. other is the virgins, yes. <laughs> and you like to collect virgins, John? I do. Lovely. I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. How much was the prize, can we ask? What is that? Is that a publicly you know, known... Can, do you know, I don't think I can remember. I think it was about 30,000. Well, that's quite nice. The tax-free. Oh, really? Mm. And it was quite interesting at the time because that prize is for photographers. And even though you don't physically take the photo, well, you do mm. sometimes, but you don't generally in your collages, <clears throat> they're found images. But you won this photography prize, which I thought was so genius because it was such a, it was a great thing for them to include you, really. And I think you are a photographer in a sense because you, you, you've been dedicating your life for so many years to photography and found images. Mm. And then you create these new images, which, which are like composing a photograph in a way. So was there a lot of controversy at the time, or was it...? No, there was. I mean, funny enough, um, a lot of the press seemed to kind of think I was going to win it. 
Uh, really? Well, yeah. I'm yeah. Pretty. You polled pretty high there. Yeah, I did. I, did. <laughs> I, I think there were odds being best betting odds. Right. Oh, well, next time let us know. <laughs> <laughs> so I was getting more and more terrified. I didn't want to win it, to be honest. I, I, but mainly because I have this fear of acceptance speeches. Oh, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> I can't bear speeches. But what was your speech like? It was okay, oh. it, but it was well rehearsed. <laughs> oh, right. I, I <laughs> By the time it a... came up, I knew I was going to get it. But there was one critic, and I really like this guy, um, who said that I shouldn't get it because it really should be reserved for photographers. And I totally agreed with him. It should have been reserved. <laughs> but I couldn't choose. I did say to the press at the time, not my fault, because it's not as though I put myself up for this prize. Yes. The prize is actually for my show at the Whitechapel. So yes, yes, yes. The Whitechapel gets some benefit from it as well. So mm -hmm. I couldn't turn it down as a result. Mm -hmm. But, of course, the money was very handy too. Yeah, it's great. Of course, you've got your new film machine. For your, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so the postcards is another... Postcards, vintage postcards is a huge element of your work. And where do you find your postcards? Well, is it the same sort of... It used to be the junk shops. More like these days, I go to a hotel in centre of London where they have a regular postcard fair. Oh, wow. Oh, right. But then I have got favourite shops. There's a shop in St. Leonard's I've discovered. Actually, I thought I couldn't find anything in London any longer. And when I moved my studio down to St. Leonard's and Hastings, yeah. I discovered there is an abundance of just the sort of shops. All, you know, even film stills. You yeah. can buy anything down there. Oh, that's great. Every shop seems to be a second-hand shop. And one of my favourites is Robert Rummage in um, the old town in Hastings. Oh, that's going to get rampaged now. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to lose everything. Yeah. It, and he has the most amazing collection of postcards. A very reasonable. Price. And what do you look for in a postcard? Because a lot of them are <coughs> caves and, and like uh, yeah. train tracks and open spaces that create this. When, when they're placed on top of these characters' faces, mm -hmm. they, you, can, you feel like you're seeing the interior workings of these people. Yeah, that's. that's they, they are. I'm, you, you've, you've nailed it. Um, I am looking in, in general for what you might call physical metaphors for interiority, caves. Bachelard, um, the philosopher um, in his Poetics of Space, described certain spaces as being particularly resonant for reverie dreaming. Um, and he, he described them as partial, partially enclosed spaces like caves yeah. or forests. Mm. You're in the open but also enclosed simultaneously. And it's those kind of spaces that I find th that I'm attracted to, really. Um, valleys, creeks, waterfalls, fissures, caves, yeah, forests, ruins as well. That's another one. Yeah. And this series you're talking about is, is called Masks. Yeah. And um, that was the first series I ever saw of your work in the kind of maybe about 2004 or something. Yeah. And same with Russell. We were talking about it earlier, actually. And I, I think that that series just, I'd never seen anything like it. And it mm. was just this profound um, impact you have from mm. such flat imagery that then becomes so deep, you know, in perspective and, and Well, you project so stuff. much onto these works that you feel like these people, you're seeing inside their souls in a kind of way. Hmm. Yeah, you like that? A kind of. That slightly worries me too. Why? Not, Why does it worry you? Yeah, well, I suppose it's kind of a literal. Yeah, maybe maybe you're right. I don't know. I'm not sure. You see, I'm not sure what I'm doing with these things a lot of the time. Um, I found that a lot of what I do is to do with hiding things. And I think when you hide something, there is something intriguing about what's been hidden. You want to see behind it. You want to know what's hidden. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewellery. 
Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And if you think about it, um, the earliest art that we know of Paleolithic cave painting, mm. there is a representation of masks in it. There's a masked figure in Lascaux. Um, so we know that masks pre-exist, and it's pretty obvious they should pre Probably the most ancient form of art is to put a mask on. And, and the, the function of a mask is to hide, to hide the person. Mm. So actors, in the days before you were an actor, mm. many, many thousands of years ago, mm. had to wear a mask because they were becoming gods in the process. You by putting on the mask, like they, the back eye. they ceased. The, yeah. yeah, they well, they ceased to be themselves, the regular person that everyone knows. Yes, you know who you are. Yes, but with the mask on, they be, they that frees them to become something else. Got it. Wow. And that's why I think Greek drama started with the mask drama because it came out of that tradition. And it's the most ancient. So there is a point at which painting, and drama, and music, and poetry, and you know, was all one thing, and it was based on a very, very simple thing, hiding. To hide yourself as an individual, to become a god. Right, so the postcard itself is a mask. Yeah. That is like placing a mask Absolutely. over your face and then exactly. disguising yourself. Ah, and then you become this character. Absolutely. That's Lovely. So cool. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. That's nice. And then, and so surrealism plays a massive part in your art. Yes, yes. In a way, it does. Um, I, I mean... I was part of that generation of artists who, who kind of discovered what was called appropriation. It's not a term I like, appropriation, because it's, it implies a sort of mastery over the material, whereas I feel more submissive towards it. But um, I felt um, a lot of my American colleagues, um, Richard Prince and Cindy Chen and those people, they, I think they, they were relating what they were doing to a, to a kind of tradition of pop and, and so mm. on. Whereas I, as a European, I felt closer proximity to surrealism but it was a very taboo thing at that time I mean mm. in the 70s 80s early 80s surrealism was the stuff of cigarette advertising you know it was right. like Saatchi and Saatchi or right. billboards and it had a kind of a well, post Dali yeah yeah and Dali was probably the most debased of all yeah you know? mm. it was a very difficult thing to be interested in surrealism at that point. And actually, it was really one of the reasons I felt I needed to drop out completely because no one was really could take anybody seriously who was interested in surrealism at that point. But I wouldn't say that surrealism is a, has been an enduring interest. It certainly sparked off my original collages when I was a student, um, and later it was an inspiration, and Magritte in particular. Yes. Um, 
but I won't. I, I can't say it's an. In, it's not something I go back to very often these days. I'm much more interested, for example, in, in um, symbolism, uh, Belgian symbolism, for, for example, which a lot of surrealism came out of. Um, Who's a famous Belgian symbolist? I'm just thinking of Tintin. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can think about Hergé. Love Tintin. That's all I'm thinking of. T- talking about your early collages, didn't you recently just discover a lot of your early work that then got shown in the Approach Show Love last year? Is yes. That right? Yeah. Yes. Um, because I loved that idea that you had all these photographs of your work from when you were a student. Yeah. And then you thought it had been lost. Mm. And then you actually found it recently. Yes. Sadly, my mother died and I was going through the attic and found a whole lot of material. Yeah. Yeah. And what was that like to see the work after all this time? I was, well, I thought it had all been damaged. You know? We had a flood in my studio and I assumed oh, all you of You should it. have loved it then. Hmm? It was damaged. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. Actually, the, the thing is, is that if I'd realised, I could have saved a lot of that material, but I just threw it away at the time but anyway we found some old stuff so it was good mm. Mm. did you do you feel like your work is you can see the the thread from there to where you are now and or was some bit quite similar to yeah where you are i now? mean yeah i think so i think the, the early photo romans are very much uh, collages are very much um, you know the beginnings of what i was uh, i've ended up doing very, very exploratory um, mm-hmm. yeah. have you ever got in trouble Copyright infringements. No, I haven't. I'm touching wood. Here. <laughs> I touch it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when I first discovered your work, every single artist I met would mention you. And this is kind of like maybe 2002 until 2005. I would go for studio visits for people. I was really interested in Sarah Jones's work and Anne Hardy and Gillian wearing a lot of Maureen Paley's photographers. And all of them would be like, have you seen John Stesica's work? And you were just being kind of discovered at that point. Mm. And you'd been making work for so long before mm. that. And I'm really interested in this idea that you were teaching for a long, long time and the influence you had. And even I used to work with an Armand, Armando Andrade Daler, who's from Peru, and he studied at the Royal College of Art, and his collages were one of my favourite things he did. And then mm-hmm. he he was there at the Royal College when you were there, and Harris Epinonda, and all these amazing artists who work with collage. And for me and Russell, we both love works on paper. Mm. We always love drawings and collages, and, and we collected a lot of that as mm. young people. Mm. So when I discovered your work, it was just so exciting because I, I think I, it was around 2011, of, wasn't it? The Whitechapel show. Yeah, that was, that was even, when yeah. it really happened. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you'd been with the approach before. For Since 2004, I think, was my first show. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that time, I remember people being so excited because yes, it was yes, like yes. a discovery. Yeah. What was it like mm. for you, having been a teacher and then seeing the impact you've had on those artists and then also then having your own successful career? It was, it was odd, really. I mean, <clears throat> I made the decision way back, really, um, that I wasn't going to sit around and stand around at openings in galleries hoping that somebody was going to ask to come and do a studio visit. It just yeah. felt demeaning. I thought, you know, and nobody seemed to get what I was doing anyway. So I thought it would be best if I just taught and produced the work in my spare time, which is what I did for, for years, mm-hmm. which is why I work mainly at night still. It's because it's the time when, you know, when I finish work and uh, I still, the habits lived on beyond mm. its necessity. You still teach now, right? No, no, no. I haven't taught now for 15 years. Oh, right. Um, but that's your body clock is telling you this is time to work now. Weirdly, yeah, as soon as my assistant goes home six o'clock is when creativity starts. Right, It's wow. really bizarre. I've got plenty to do in the day as well, you know, ordinary everyday activities. Got it. But the creative stuff tends to happen at night. And then, I don't know, it just, I just, I suppose, gave up the, occasionally people would remember me and say, include me in some little group show somewhere. So it wasn't as though I was completely off the map, but for the most part I was. Um, and when I did appear, people seemed bemused by what I was doing. And so 
it was difficult, even when I got press, you know, support from critically. Yeah. yeah, no one seemed to know quite how to describe it, and mm. it was always the same thing: surrealism or whatever. Uh, but anyway, it was usually put down surrealist was the kind of right. way of mm-hmm. being put down. And then I don't know. It just I don't know what it was, and it's really bizarre. I'm still musing on what happened in that moment at the beginning of the millennium. One part of me says that's when I became a father and that somehow my son bought me good luck. But, well, oh, <laughs> but also, nice. another part of me also said that that was actually the worst time for me because I was the main carer um, for a while mm. and I couldn't really do my work. I was having to teach and look after my son. Mm. And that gap created a kind of a sort of tension of sort. Uh, I don't know. Um, it made me reevaluate. I did think for a moment, maybe I should give up altogether. Mm. But weirdly, the very moment that I thought of giving up was when telephone started ringing and it's amazing and i thought what's going on here recently somebody said to me well your work is is completely anti-digital and yet it seems to emerge with digital culture exactly and that's an interesting thought and i i do think it has a lot to do with timing and the fact that society and everyone's way of looking at things was Mm. ready to accept it somehow it's interesting yeah because I'm completely phobic about... Well, actually, I have finally got myself an iPad and an iPhone and all the rest of it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm feeling really bad about it. <laughs> the, I did resist for nearly ten, well, over 10 years yeah. having any contact with that. You didn't have an email? You didn't. I, well, I do, but my assistant would deal with it. Got it. Yeah. So I didn't touch the machine myself. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was hypocritical. I began to realise, I mean, I was using eBay. I was using... You know, yeah, yeah, It yeah. had a profound impact on my work, digital culture. And uh, so... But I did find that an interesting thought. Mm. But even though everyone seemed to see me as a sort of refreshing alternative to, to, to digital culture, that it could also be seen as a response to digital culture, the sort of things that I'm doing. Yeah. And actually, we were talking in the taxi on the way here about your new show. You're doing a group show. Um, you've co- co-curated it with somebody about trees mm. called Arboretum um, in St. Leonard's Snow, the first iteration of it. Mm. And um, you were talking about this idea of why people are painting trees or photographing trees or mm. thinking about trees within art. And maybe it has to do with this idea of stillness Mm. and there's definitely something of stillness within your work Mm. that I think it's sort of when I look at your work I kind of it's almost like a yearning or something I can't quite explain it but it's like Mm. the psychological like uh, because there is such peace in your work and also the way that when you slice the the eyes in those I think they're called love those works where you have like the three Mm. repeated eyes Mm. you know cut up there's something so kind of arresting about that idea of looking and our culture is so much about looking at each other and Mm. and not just to do with attraction but to do with all kinds of you know the way you interact with the world and i think it's become increasingly more so because of the development of instagram of all of this way we communicate now and when i look at those images and the eyes are repeated it sort of just suddenly makes you stop and you're like ah you, you know, that work power out. of looking. Because we're so quick, so you want to get the image and you put it in your head and you move on. But whereas yeah. that, you, you can't, it plays with, it's like um, Bridget Riley. It plays, it's optical illusion, isn't it? Mm. So it plays with your mind and you try and settle it in your mind and go, oh, that's what mm. it is. And you can't quite work it out. Yeah. Well, I was just going to go back to saying about the, the why, why it's kind of happened now. Because it feels like a Photoshop thing, even though it's crafty, mm. you know, and there's such a rise in appreciation of craft and rediscovery of that. But yet your works are kind of, Photoshoppy, you know, which you would have manipulated mm-hmm. on a computer, but you haven't. No. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a mystery, really. I mean, everything I... The, the older I get, and the more I do, oddly enough, the less I seem to be know 
what it is I'm doing, which is nice. I like I it. I love that. Me too. Freedom. That's quite freeing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's, I think in a way it's about <clears throat> trying to find a relationship with images in which you're not in control of what's there. Right. I think the, the image is one of the deepest mysteries of our culture, um, what an image is. Um, and yet we live in a culture in which that mystery is, is, is almost inaccessible. You can't feel that mystery any longer because you're, of the ubiquity of images. We're completely mm. surrounded by images. Images interface in every, every communication. Um, and yet there is a deep mystery in what an image is. Um, and it is an absence that you're confronting. When I see my son you know, on the phone to his girlfriend or whatever, and they're looking at one another on the phone, or whatever. FaceTime. FaceTime, yep. yeah. Um, it's like she's there. Mm. It's not, and I keep saying to him, this is an image, Ben. <laughs> mm. um, you have to remember this is an image. And mm. of course we don't. We've forgotten that this is an image. Yeah. Um, my work, I think, is an attempt to try and hold on to that strange mystery of what an image is mm. um, before it vanishes completely and we're completely absorbed into the instrumentality of communications, which mm -hmm. I think is mostly what has happened to us. Unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And of course, cinema is the preeminent way in which we're drawn into an image we can, which we, from which we can never find a release because in cinema you, you're constantly following an image. An image transforms into another, into another. You can never grasp the totality of it. I think my, by collecting film stills, I am trying to find a way of becoming reflexively aware of things that you can never be reflexively aware of. You're pausing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Exactly. And thank you for that. I mean, thank you so much for your work because I it has had such a big impact on so many people's lives. Mm -hmm. And and I just I know it's gonna be there for a long, long time. I think it's really important work. Mm -hmm. And I'm you know, I'm so happy that you're in Biennales now and you're showing all over the world, but but also that the mainstream public are becoming to be aware of your work, mm -hmm. you know, thanks to the White well, Especially And through Talk Art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and through this. So talking about Talk Art, we ask every guest um, in each episode two questions. One is, if you could do an art heist and steal an artwork and take it home from a museum, not that I'm encouraging um, anything illegal here, yeah. but um, what, what would be your kind of touchstone that you would take home with you? Look, the you thing could? I'd most like to, to remove from, I think, I'm not sure which one, but it's probably a Giorgio de Chirico. Really? Mm. Oh. Yes. Wow. You find that surprising. And actually, I, we're talking about Belgian sympathy. Yeah. Before. Maybe a, a, a Delvo. I rather oh. like Delvo. Too. Wow. I don't know that word, I don't know but I will look though. it up. We'll put that on the Instagram yeah. feed. Yeah. yeah. Good one. Have you seen a specific Giorgio? Um, let me think. There is one that's triangular, which I can, which has got a hand in it. Yeah. There are certain ones that really. Right. Yeah. So he's of the same world as Magritte, right? Would you place him? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the biggest influences within the Surrealist group on my work would be... Well, the first was Max Ernst. When I discovered oh, yeah, wow. Simone de Bonté yeah. as a student, I, I, I was just... Blown away. Yeah. And that's when I started making collages. It was just... I knew I had to follow that lead. How old was you at that point? 18. Wow. Yeah. And you made your first collage at 18? I was actually... It's not quite the story. Oddly enough, I was making them before I did that, but that gave me the 
Skyrim. Licensed to be like this yeah. is free. Yeah. I was already cutting up my mother's shopping catalogue and doing paintings from these. But she Why was are you curious about that? <laughs> no, no, no they, they were the old ones. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> it didn't just arrive in the post. Yeah. You're like, slice, 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 slice. No. Thank you. And actually, I did want to mention that really quickly as a side, but I loved your canvas works. I remember going to a studio somewhere in East London to visit Jessie Flood Paddock, who's a yeah. sculptor, and she shared a kind of building that you had paintings in. That's right. And there were these screen prints on canvas, mm-hmm. which was so unexpected because I didn't even know you made that kind of work. But they were from the 70s, I think. That's, some of them were, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were amazing. I love mm-hmm. those pieces. Yeah. I think Jake showed them as well a few yeah. times. Jake at the Approach. At the Approach yeah. Gallery, yeah. And then our other question we ask everybody is, um, what is your favourite colour? Which I'm quite interested to ask you. Well, I was asked that recently by Interview magazine. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was, I knew instantly what the answer would be. Mm. It would be a kind of midnight blue. A midnight blue, wow. Because of the stars and the sky? It's, or? Yeah, I just love that colour. I tend to wear it, you'll notice. Yeah. Um, I've worn that uniform for years. I think when I was young, my mother told me that I wanted to be either a policeman or a sailor. I think the reason was the that uniform. both of them wore blue. That's so funny. <laughs> so you're attracted to the colour, yeah. To the colour. And, and actually, blue. some of my favourite things you've done are often where you've got the astronomy um, yeah. uh, lithographs yeah. Or, yeah. or... Milky Way in yeah. the background. And, sure. and actually, we did those prints together, That's Father right. Sky yeah. and Mother Night, That's which right. is just yeah. about to come out That's with counter editions. But I love the way that you you cut out the face of like the Western um, cowboy or whatever and then you put in the, the clouds or you mm. put in the, the the astronomy kind of journals. Yeah. It's so, so beautiful. Yeah. Um, I was interested though that when I got the interview magazine back and yeah. they asked a lot of artists that and it was something like three people chose Midnight Blue. They did. Oh, really? And were they, art- they were artists? All artists. Robert Longo was one. I oh, can't remember right. who the other one was now but uh, it seemed to be a, a general convergence on that. Well, you're in good company. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, John, thank you so much well, for coming Well, before we go, I've, got, oh, I've got something for you. I've got a present for you. Oh, my God. Now, this is something that means a lot to me. Oh. This is This is Bethesda Fountain in New York. Wow. And that's this postcard from 1908 and I've had it around my apartment and Bethesda Fountain is my touchstone one of my most favourite places in the world I go to and I did a play called Angels in America uh, a couple of years ago at the National Theatre and I, mm. the show itself was a huge influence and touchstone for me as mm. an actor well I found this postcard and I thought well who better to give it to than That's John so Stesica, nice. hoping that at some point it will turn up on your work <laughs> somewhere and then I will be able to get it back. Well, maybe even better, I might be able to return it to you in a slightly modified form. Exactly, yes. that would be amazing. That would be the dream. But it's from, if you look at the back, it's like from 1908 yeah, and there's yeah. some woman, girls and actually, writing to her sister. this is totally true because Russell's even taken me there. You, when we first went to New York to Oh yeah, there, I've got photos About eight years, years ago yeah. or something, we took photos yeah. there. I'm sure when I'm like 70, I'll have pictures of me every <clears> single year at Bethesda Fountain exactly. with various, yeah. various my dog and uh, various boyfriends and friends (laughs) (laughs) over the years well look John Stesica thank you so much for coming on I hope you enjoy your present from Russell and um, it's been amazing to spend time with you thank you so much great pleasure and everyone um, look at Instagram at TalkArt and you can see images of all the works we've been talking about today thank you very much we will be back very soon thank you love you guys bye You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at TalkArt, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Recorded at Spiritland London by Anthony Shaw and edited by Gareth Isles. Subscribe to Talk Art on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.